0: morning everybody we're going to be reading from Daniel chapter 1 we're going to start at verse 3 and then um, some reading from chapter 2 of Daniel so let's continue in worship as we listen to God's word then the king ordered Ashpenaz chief of his court officials to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name was Belshazzar, Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mishael, sorry to Hananiah Shadrach to Mishael Meshach and to Azariah Abednego but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine and he asked the chief officials for permission not to defile himself in this way now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel but the official told Daniel I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned you food and drink Why should should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And Daniel then said to the God whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men, who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time, said by the king to bring them in, the chief officials presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In chapter 2, we've got the story of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He was upset and worried about it and commanded his wise men to describe and interpret it. They were unable to and they were at the risk of death. I'm reading from um, Daniel chapter 2, verses 17 to 19. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Nazariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And during that night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven.
1: After Daniel successfully interpreted the king's dream, he was in high favor and got his three companions promoted. So now we'll turn to chapter three the king sets up a huge golden image and commands the entire empire to bow down to it on threat of being burned in a fiery furnace. So we'll start at verse 7. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn flute, Zion, the lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music. If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, The God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual, and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. As you all know, the king throws the three friends into the furnace, but they are saved. So finally, we turn to read uh, chapter 3, verse 28 to 30. Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other god can save in this way then the king promoted shadrach meshach and abednego in the province of babylon so i'll just welcome victoria up and pray for her. so father god we thank you so much for Victoria and all that she has prepared and listened and been obedient to this week and in the weeks before now. We thank you for the gifts that you have given her. As, as Kaz prayed this morning, the story that you've written in her life already, and we are so excited to see what you're doing in her life. And we just pray, Lord, that you'd fill her with your spirit now and that she would speak your word to us and that we would listen. In Jesus' name, Amen.
2: Amen. People are scared. Overnight, everything we know has been put in jeopardy. Women, wives, sisters, daughters are suffering in the ways that women do in times of political unrest. Violent men have infiltrated military defences and now pervade both public and private spaces. The religious places are destroyed and their artifacts stolen. False gods are proclaimed. Overnight, culture shifts. Through violence and coercion, assimilation begins where people are groomed to embrace new lifestyles and ideologies. Forced conversion happens on every street corner. The powerful become powerless. And it seems that in just one night, the one true God has abandoned the nation. In 605 BC, this is the situation that three men found themselves in. The great nation of Babylon had been threatening Judah for some time, and it had finally besieged it. The Judean people had become captive. Their given names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Except by this point, no one knows this. They're called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were probably between 13 and 17 years old. So younger than me. And they've been identified as some of the brightest, fittest, handsomest young men of Judah now, young men of Babylon. Um, So I just want to stop here. And Judy, could you could you come up? And James, could you just come up for it? Yeah, Judy and James. Yeah, you too. If you could just uh, just, just come up. Judy and James. Yeah, I know you can go. Thank you. We know that they're not Judy and James, right? That's Jenny and that's John too. We know that. Except, when we get to the text, the rewriting of their names comes with the rewriting of their identities. You see, Hananiah means beloved by God, but was changed to Shadrach, meaning illuminated by a sun god. Mishael was changed from who is like God to Meshach, meaning who is like Shak, a Babylonian goddess. Azariah means the Lord is my help, but became Abednego, meaning God was quite literally written out of their identities. This is, to put it lightly, a big blow on several levels. For starters, they switch from theophoric names, which is like a fancy word for a name that includes and glorifies the name of God, to idolatrous, blasphemous names that include names of gods that don't exist. But it's also important because Hananiah, Mishael, and As are direct descendants from Abraham and being of the house of Judah they are they would have known or possibly could have been the forefathers of Jesus. The fingerprints and workings of God seem to be wiped from Jesus's very lineage. Identity matters. In under a minute I renamed Jenny and Johnty, Judy and James. In just one day Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah became Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. However, Jenny and Jaunty kind of protested, didn't quite know what was going on. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they were powerless to change their names. External identity, how others perceive us, is subject to the world, but our true internal identity belongs to God. I'll say that again. External identity is subject to the world, but our true internal identity belongs to God. Satan wants nothing more than to identify us in relation to the world, for the labels that people put on us to be regarded as true, for division to take root along the infinite lines that we draw, many of them arbitrary, race, weight, socioeconomic status, class, follow account, health, sexuality. These are our external identity. But as Christians, we know that our souls belong to someone greater, that we are called to something greater. Satan may have a temporary foothold in this world, but Jesus Christ is king of our hearts. There were maybe 5,000 Jews in exile, and for them, there was the pressing question of whether they would allow their identity to be shaped by Babylon or to be shaped by God. And here we have A shining example of three young men who chose to retain their true identity in god regardless of the pressure on them so what exactly did they do how did this difference in identity present Uh, how do we as readers know that they retained their identity in god it did have some external manifestations and i say some because we also know that they from the passage they are taught the language and literature of the Babylonians, that they were to enter the king's service, and we know that their names were changed, and yet they stood apart. They stood apart in three ways, which I'm going to unpack further. The first being, they stood apart in their, in their personal lifestyle. Here on this table is what I'm calling a, uh, a budget feast. I'm catering to your every need. This is the perfect image of a balanced diet. What more could you want? Um, could I have a volunteer, Eddie? it's 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 in your best interests maybe yeah come on so you can have like anything on this table um just like help yourself take it back uh literally whatever you want to munch on yeah that's all right so if people can't see um, we've got oreos cabbage and yeah crunchy stuff um yeah thank you um i said it was in your best interests (laughs) See, no one loves vegetables, right? I myself, I'm a fruit person all the way. If you say you love vegetables, I am so sorry for you. You know, we have people after the service you can talk to, we can work this through. (laughs) Um, But for these three and their friend Daniel, the alternative to vegetables symbolized idolatry. The meat that they were required to eat wouldn't have been kosher and would have been sacrificed to idols. The wine, similarly, would have been dedicated to their pagan gods. In ancient Eastern culture, the act of sharing a meal was an important symbol of friendship. King Nebuchadnezzar believed that Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah belonged to him not only as his subjects, but as his conquests. The story takes place in Nebuchadnezzar's court, which means that it was both a private and a public space. In refusing the meat and the wine, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah refused to belong to the king, either as slaves or as an assimilated elite. They knew their allegiance and body belonged to someone greater. It's really easy for us, especially for you vegetable lovers out there, to see that this is a relatively straightforward choice. But what we can forget is that these young men were 1,600 miles from home. Even among their Judean peers, they stood apart the food they were missing out on was good. At the time, there was a huge gap between what the rich ate and what the poor ate. And nobody in their right mind would opt down that social ladder. They were eating in the king's court. So not only were they throwing away an incredible privilege, but it would have wider consequences on their career advancement. At the time, these kings and rulers weren't like most of the rulers we see today, they deferred to violence as their norm. We mustn't let our detachment from the story make us forget what a radical, reckless decision this was. And yet it had a purpose. They weren't needlessly testing God for their own vanity or to stand out in court. In Exodus 23 verse 25, the Israelites were instructed to serve the Lord your God and he will bless your bread and your water. They had a command to obey and they had a promise to trust. They also took a reasonable approach. They could have walked into the court with declarative statements, a big charade of resolution and martyrdom. Instead, they quietly take the chief official aside and ask him for a chance. Just just 10 days. They're firm without being tenacious. James 3 verse 17 tells us, the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and hypocrisy. This first indicator of personal lifestyle change so obviously comes from that knowing their identity in God because of their humility. Knowing our identity in God shouldn't lead to self-righteousness. To us, as to Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, it almost certainly leads to personal lifestyle changes. How are we doing today, folks? Seriously, how are we doing today in our music? How are we doing today in our social lives, in the jokes that we're making with our friends, in the media we're consuming? How are we doing today in the clothes that we're wearing? It'd be great if everyone could take out their phones really quickly. I've got my phone here, um, an embarrassing flip case. if you have an iphone if you turn it on and swipe from the left if you've got it set, turned on in your settings it should tell you how many hours you have spent on your phone this today or this week uh, on some androids you're going to find this in the settings and often you'll get like a, a breakdown of which apps you're using maybe for you it's not your phones maybe it's your tablets or your laptops or your tvs when was the last that we gave that up to God. Maybe it was this week during One Church One Day. How about for for 10 days at a time? How about for longer? External identity is subject to the world, but our internal identity belongs to God. So as well as personal lifestyle changes, we see Ananiah, Mishael and Azariah work spiritually on a personal level. This brings us to the second part of the story. We heard in our reading that Daniel appealed to his three friends for spiritual support and prayer when needing to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Once more, we see them humbled before God. Daniel asks for more time from the king because he recognized that he was waiting on God and not his own personal clock. We see them humble before God because they pray as their first resort and yet hold no other options. It is only God who can interpret this dream. The threat of execution of all the previous spiritual advisors demonstrated a dire need for God. We see them humbled because the scripture says Daniel asked them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven. Not only does mercy know that they, not only does mercy show that they know that they don't deserve this, but they plead for mercy from God. God and not Nebuchadnezzar, they know where the real authority is. We see them in humility because they pray in community. This isn't to say that one person and one prayer isn't enough for God, but to say that God builds churches and community for a reason. This way, the praise can't go to Daniel or any one of the three others. They are collectively humbled. And finally, they're humbled in their lack of qualifications. I mentioned before that they would have been between 13 and 17 when they were first selected they are young and inexperienced and they are humble we don't know exactly what their prayer looked like or how how they prayed it may have been taking shifts say up all night in prayer or fasting together or truly simply giving up to god and saying, god we have no control we leave it in your hands Maybe they battled and reasoned with God because they realized just how much was at stake. We don't know. But we do know that when faced with death, they knew their identity in God. They knew that God cares. They knew that God listens and they knew that God always responds. But they also knew that they were pleading for mercy and not demanding answers. That God may not respond in the way that they wanted him to. External identity is subject to the world, but our internal identity belongs to God. Thirdly and finally, for Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, knowing their identity in God presented itself as a public political declaration. You're all going to groan, but we're going to play a quick game of Nebuchadnezzar Says. So I want involvement from everyone. If everyone can get onto their feet. um, And I'm talking to everyone in Zoom as well. Susanna is my sister. She's watching online are in bed, get out. <laughs> um, uh, okay, shake it off, whatever. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar says, put your hands in the air. Nebuchadnezzar says, put your finger on your nose. Nebuchadnezzar says, stretch out wide. Nebuchadnezzar says, get down low. Nebuchadnezzar says, turn around. Nebuchadnezzar says, jump forward. Nebuchadnezzar says, step back. Nebuchadnezzar says, down on one knee. Nebuchadnezzar says... Down on both knees. And you can get my trustees, thank you. (laughs) This is the problem that Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah faced. When you're in a big crowd of people, it's very easy to get swept up in the moment and its momentum. I was once at a protest in London with a million other people. And it's really hard when you have a million people to make sure that all your agendas line up to make sure they're all there for the same reason. Uh, so you have people over here doing a really nuanced call and response for a really specific issue. You have people over here just hurling random abuse at the government. Um, when the media look at you, they obviously look at you as one collective body. It's really hard to differentiate between people. Uh, myself and my friends, we were quite young. We couldn't vote yet at this rally, so we got a lot of um, media attention. And I was interviewed by uh, some media, and um, I was really badly misquoted. And I was trying to make this nuanced point and said, you know, you know, I agree with these people in some ways, but like this is where I'm different. This is how I disagree like this, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm different, but it's like nuanced, you know, and I was completely distorted. I just, you know, out there on the internet, if you search my name up somewhere out there, there's me saying something which just makes me look like another sheep in the crowd. It's really hard to authentically stand out. We all likely know the story very well. Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah refused to bow down. And for this, Nebuchadnezzar tried to kill them. Let's, you know, do a little exercise. What if they, what if they had bowed down? The end of the passage tells us that Nebuchadnezzar praises God when they survive the furnace. He commands that blasphemy against Christ would lead to death. So this incredible political statement wouldn't have happened. Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah would have lived comfortable lives as political leaders with the blasphemous names of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. The eight storey, 30 metre high statue would have appeared comprehensively worthy of praise. The story wouldn't be the beautiful image of faith driven martyrdom that we know it to be today. It wouldn't have inspired Jews then, and it wouldn't inspire Christians now. But most of all, God would not have been glorified. How dire. How sincerely heartbreaking. Because knowing our identity in God is one step towards fulfilling our purpose in God, which is to glorify him. Hananiah, Meshach and Azariah had uncompromised obedience to God. And this came from an uncompromisable sense of identity in God. Nebuchadnezzar initially condemned who he knew to be, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. As seditious, treacherous agitators, he threw them into the furnace. But their names were Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. External identity is subject to the world, but our internal identity belongs to God. People are scared. Overnight, everything they know has been put in jeopardy. Women, wives, sisters and daughters are suffering in the ways that women do in times of political unrest. Violent men have infiltrated both public and private spaces alike. The religious places are destroyed and their artifacts stolen. False gods, a false god is proclaimed. Overnight, culture shifts. Through violence and coercion, assimilation begins, where people are groomed to embrace new ideologies and lifestyles. Forced conversion happens on every street corner. The powerful become powerless. And it seems that in just one night, the one true God has abandoned a nation. We were talking before, of a siege 2600 years ago we turn now to a siege seven days ago the liturgy remains unchanged billy joel has a song called 2000 years it speaks to the hope that people had at the turn of the millennium that the needless pain violence and suffering of the past 2000 years would finally be put to bed it speaks to the hope of a utopian renaissance that here at the crossroads of time We hope our children carry our dreams down the line. That there will be miracles after the last war is won. Science and poetry rule in the new world to come. It sits sour on my tongue and heavy on my heart today. This week we have wept for our sisters and brothers in Afghanistan. For the vile evil newly imposed on a precious part of our church. For the lies and corruption ex- externally spoken over the Afghan church, but what mi- but what gi- <laughs> but what Billy Joel was missing was that the turn of the millennium would not herald these changes. He was counting two thousand years from the birth of Jesus Christ. We eagerly await the second coming in the meantime, we must know our internal identity in God, regardless and because of are external circumstances and perceived identity. It's really easy to look at the story of Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah and see that God prospers them and assume that we too have a right to that prosperity. After they eat vegetables, they miraculously appear stronger than their peers. After praying, they become chief ministers over the provinces of Babylon. Having refused to bow down, they are saved from the furnace, furnace and politically promoted. God doesn't promise us this. In fact, faith doesn't always keep us from the fire that sometimes sends us into it. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah demonstrated their security in their true identity through their humility and obedience. It was displayed in their personal lifestyle, their personal spirituality, and in their public declaration. We know the the scriptures. We must live a life worthy of our calling. Are calling as children of the God Most High. You've heard the expression, know your worth. It's primarily used as a slur, but as children of God, it's a celebration. Cairns Road, I entreat you, know your worth.